Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. Kieran, I'm back from Birmingham now. The uh, My mother-in-law's petticoat drawer has been well and truly rummaged through, um, which <laughs> I apologise to the new, new listeners because that's, <laughs> that's the first thing they've heard about this Price of Football podcast they've been told to listen to. They, they, they need to listen to a couple of the previous ones for a bit of context. How are you? Are you in a better mood now? You've had an apology from from Howard Webb about you. Tony Bloom's toilet, uh, he, he must have what, four or five framed apologies from Howard Webb in Tony Bloom's <laughs> toilet. Now, surely. I don't think there's going to be room for him anymore. <laughs> it's, it, referees give what they see. Yeah. You know, I, I, and I, I, I accept that. Uh, it's the apology is, is is one thing. Video assistant referee is there to use video to assist the referee, and yeah, I've I've got no issue with Stuart Atwell. He he gave what he saw at the time. Um, I think the person assisting him perhaps could have done a bit more. Yeah, I've got no issue with referees, Kieran. We we are here to support referees at all levels as much as we possibly can. I don't blame the referee on the pitch. But it's giving what you see on the pitch is one thing. Not giving what you see on a on a video yes. after twenty seven looks when the rest of us so on the first replay, well, that's a penalty, isn't it? I mean, obviously, I couldn't hear the decision for the chuckling from Palace fans all over the country. <laughs> <laughs> you've, you've had a very chucklesome few days as well. Yeah, we've had a, we've had a yeah, 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 yeah. It doesn't it doesn't happen often, Kieran. So we like to exploit these moments as much as we can. I just, if only there was somewhere we could crowbar the name of the team that we beat on Saturday into this podcast. But oh well, anyway, <laughs> um, it's Newsday, Kieran. Um, the first big story is one close to our hearts, and it looks like we have a time scale for the independent regulator. Yes, uh, by all accounts, work has started with regards to framing the legislation. Uh, it is now anticipated that uh, it will be part of the King's speech, uh, which will be taking place in the autumn. So there, there will be a race for that. Uh, I think it's essential that the the legislation is is, is correct rather than uh, r- rapidly put together. So you know, there, there's a lot of hard work for people over the summer. Um, what I think one of the interesting things is I think there is an aim to to set up a shadow regulator for season 23-24 with the aim of having the actual regulator uh, in place for the start of the 24-25 season. And um, whilst the Premier League is opposed to it, uh, that might not necessarily be in the Premier League's best interest because there is talk that should there be a general election which is won by the Labour Party, that the Labour Party might come up with an alternative which the Premier League likes even less. Um, so I think that it's uh, it's food for thought. Uh, the, the, the big arguments at present uh, are, are in respect of still the, the distribution of money. I think you know, probably 90% uh, of of what we're seeing it can can be agreed by by all of the football bodies as as well as the sort of the recommendations that we've seen as part of the Tracy Crouch report uh, which which has sort of formed the basis for the white paper so we we wait and see um i would always however 
urge an element of caution for those people that think that the regulator is going to get rid of football's problems. It, mm. It's not. It's 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 there to turn down the dial. It's it's there to increase the hurdle uh, for for those ne'er do wells who are trying to come into football. But increasing the hurdle doesn't mean that it's going to be insurmountable. So. Step in the right direction, absolutely. Um, are we going to be living in a football utopia on the back of it? No, we're not. I, I, I'm still at a stage where I get confused where people say something's going to be in the new King's Speech because I think well, it's a good film, but it doesn't need a remake already, does it? <laughs> um, interesting to you say that there, there might be an alternative in the Labour Party manifesto or from the Labour government. Do we know what that might mean? Are you talking about a possibly a stricter regulator? I think it could be more robust. Uh, right. that there has been talk about this, certainly reading the the columns in, in some of the press articles which I followed um, indicate that uh, the Labour Party may, may want to put their own uh, slant on this. Um, and I, I don't necessarily think that the Premier League would, would be too keen on, on what they saw. But we've not heard, to be fair, we've not heard any details and, and there is an element of speculation here. Kieran, you and I did a, a panel thing for the Crystal Palace Foundation a couple of weeks ago, at which the, the club's financial officer was there, and we were talking uh, in public about the difficulties of the Premier League coming up with a collective response uh, to the idea of the regulator. But one Premier League club has broken ranks now, haven't they, and said that they're very much against the idea. Could you could you tell us which club that is, Kieran, by any chance? Uh, yes, that is the Leeds. Um, oh, Leeds, hang on, that name rings a bell. Leeds, 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 Leeds United, would that be? Yes, yes, it is oh, well, indeed. Okay, yeah, yes. Um, and, and you talk about collective, which is strange because uh, Angus Kinnear, the chief executive of Leeds United, uh, his first reaction when the regulator was announced was to uh, describe it as Maoist collective agriculturalism. <laughs> uh, I'll try to say agriculturalism slightly more as, as if I've not been on the, on the source all morning. Um, well, if you have which, been on the source, Kieran, it will be a fine quinoa mint source as well because your source, <laughs> your source is a very different source. To what did you have for Easter, by the way? What did the Baroness conjure up? Um, no, we, we just had uh, ceviche. Uh, oh, but we had uh, tuna, tuna and salmon ceviche with, uh, with 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 smashed avocado, of course. Of course. What else can you do with an avocado rather than smash it, Kieran? I understand. <laughs> yes. So, what's have have Leeds mentioned a particular reason now why they're still so much against the independent regulator? Well, yes. Uh, in in the Leeds United accounts, it, it talks about principal risks and uncertainties, and it says the primary risk facing the group remains the divisional status of the club's first team due to the impact of key revenue systems. Um, you know, so, i.e., regulation is is not good. Uh, however, we've got a commercial model to fund a technical setup which can ensure preliminary league retention. So it's saying the right thing. It, it then goes on to say, an additional risk has emerged in the form of the government white paper in response to the fan-led review into football. The paper recommends the appointment of an independent regulator. The precise powers of this body remain undefined, i.e. it's 
could be a bogeyman. And and this is what we've seen from both Richard Masters and, and from those clubs who, who have spoken about it. And, it. and it's a common narrative. And what I think what we're also seeing is, is the big six deliberately are being silent about this because yeah. it was the actions of the big six which probably accelerated the fan-led review. Um, it then says, yeah, the precise powers of this remain undefined, but were predicted to materially impact both the club's finances and elements of the way it currently operates and i've got to be honest i don't see anything you know the way that the club operates well to have a formal fan advisory board to protect the leeds united crest to protect the fact that leeds united play at elland road to protect the fact that leeds united play in in white white shirts unless you know the fans are prepared to say yeah yeah we're we're going along with that i I think that's sort of I, i i can't i genuinely cannot see what the objections are. The big issue, as we've already discussed, is going to coming up with some form of tweaking to the distribution model. Um, And that might work to the detriment of individual clubs in the Premier League, but but not by a huge amount. And the reason why I say that is if we take a look at some of the new TV deals which are coming on stream over the course of the next few years – they are going to more than offset any increase in money leaving the Premier League uh, in respect of what's likely to to, to go to the EFL because I, I don't think that the, the 25% uh, share of the collective money is going to go through uh, as a deal. There's, there's no indication from anybody I've spoken to um, at what, what I can only describe as sources, um, that, uh, that that would be the case. Yes, I think there is an expectation that the Premier League could tweak the parachute payments model. Yes, it could give a bit more money overall. But this sort of uh, dystopian, the dist- it's going to be the destruction of football as we know it, uh, narrative, which is coming out, and, and that is being driven by the, the, the owners, um, I think it's, I just think it's unwarranted. And, and I can't. I, the the pluses out, out outweigh the minuses, especially given that you know. And, I'm, and I'm, I know Leeds fans don't want to countenance this. Leeds United might not be in the Premier League, so therefore a slightly more beneficial deal for clubs in the EFL isn't necessarily you know in, in against Leeds' best interests. Talking of sources, Kieran, mint or otherwise, I I, I can't quite understand why it seems that quite a few Premier League clubs perceive an existential threat in the, the white paper and the idea of a regulator to their to their finances, other than, as you say, having maybe to give more to the championship. I, I don't quite understand why they think that um, a piece of legislation introduced by a Tory government is going to necessarily harm the pockets of big industries, essentially, which is what f- football clubs are. I, I can't see... They seem to imply that there's going to be a salary cap, that there's going to be all sorts of things that a Tory government will introduce to to stop Premier League teams making money in the same way that NFL teams have to, you know, not make individual money and have to share. I I just don't understand that concept, Kieran. Or or is that again just a, another of their invented bogeymen to try and put people off the idea? I I think it is. There there is no evidence of salary caps. Um... You know, and put, I, I hold my hand up here. As we know, I, I occasionally pop up 
to Westminster type area and, and have, have a chat with people and, and keep in touch. Um, there's no evidence that parachute payments will be abolished or, or in fact, that the, that the regulator wants to get involved on, on a, it certainly doesn't want to get involved on a day-to-day basis. Um, fully accepts that the Premier League is the driver of success financially or is, is the, the generator of funds for football uh, and has been spectacularly successful. The, the government doesn't want to get involved in that and the opposition probably doesn't want to get involved in that as well because you can only end up looking foolish. And, and I think it yeah, potentially could become more of a vote loser than a vote winner if the government is seen interfering in, in the day-to-day operations of football. The government's also fully aware of, of FIFA statute in, in the sense of, uh, you know, there, there isn't supposed to be government taking control of the game. There, there is supposed to be independence of, of the football regulatory bodies. So th- this, uh, th- this repeated um, claims of unknown consequences um, there, there are unknown consequences in every single decision that we make on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. You know, so, you know, if, if you know, it, it, and that goes from, yeah, what I'm going to have for tea tonight on, you know, I, I could get food poisoning from it. You I do. don't know. I don't, don't expect it to be the case. But does that mean I shouldn't eat food tonight? No. Oh, what are you having for tea? Uh, tonight, uh, I'm I'm doing a, a little thing with uh, piri piri chicken, sort of homemade uh, oh. marinade. But you are actually cooking it rather than passing off raw fish as a, a meal. Ceviche yeah. is wonderful, <laughs> Kevin. <laughs> I'm sure it is. Uh, Kieran, by the way, you, eventually you're going to have to start saying, I, I went to the Houses of Parliament because you're running out of euphemisms. Last, <laughs> The last time you said, I, I go to places like Westminster, and just now you said, I go to Westminster-type areas. So you're fooling no one, Kieran. We know where you're going. Um, talking of FIFA, FIFA have ordered uh, a Premier League club to pay a lot of money, uh, Kieran. Do we know which Premier League club this is? It is the Leeds. Is it really? This, yes, is, it is. this is my lucky week. <laughs> <laughs> this is, I, I have to point out, I'm sorry about this, Leeds fans. As I say, it doesn't happen often. This is genuinely a coincidence. These stories just happen to be in the news this week that I have not asked producer guy or Kieran to come up with Leeds based stories just so I could mention the fact we won at the weekend. This is a this is actually a big story, Kieran, and this is one of our first stories that we covered on the pod way back when. Yes. So th- this is in respect of uh Jean Kevin uh, Augustine, who uh Leeds United signed from RB Leipzig. And and what was intriguing, this this deal was in January twenty twenty. And it was uh, on a loan deal with an obligation to buy. And the obligation was, should Leeds United be promoted, then uh, they had to pay RB Leipzig an agreed fee of £24.5 Now, the loan expired on the 30th of June. Now, if people recall, when, when lockdown initially arose, there was no football taking place. And then football came back and the football season carried on. And what FIFA said and what all of the, the regulatory bodies said in worldwide football, if you've got a if you've got a loan or, or a contract which expires on the 30th of June, what you're able to do is to carry on with regard to that particular contract. And that contract will now expire at the end of the season. So Leeds were promoted deservedly um, from the championship that season. 
And as far as RB Leipzig were concerned, therefore the obligation to buy kicked it in. Now, uh, Jean-Kevin Augustine played 49 minutes worth of football. Um, he didn't settle. There, there were issues. Um, and I think I think Leeds took the view uh, at the end of the season, well, you know, we, perhaps we could have fined him... Um, he, you know, we, we could have fined him for for various misdemeanors. There was the club wasn't wasn't happy with him, um, but they thought because the the loan expired on the thirtieth of June and we were not promoted, we ain't going to do anything else. FIFA disagreed, and therefore uh, Leeds were told that they had to go and pay a fee. They, they agreed a settlement of around about £15.5 million with RB Leipzig, so they didn't pay the full £24.5 million. And the player ended up, uh, I think he played a little bit in France, and he's now ended up playing in Basel in Switzerland. At the same time, when the obligation to buy contract was signed, at the same time, um, what we saw was he had signed a contract to play for Leeds United for five years. And that contract uh, is worth £24.5 million, including bonuses. He has appealed to FIFA and say, well, given that my my obligation to, to be a Leeds player has been to, has been upheld by FIFA, therefore my, my contract of employment has been upheld by FIFA as well. Um, so, so, that has proven to be the case. Um, with regards to what is going to happen, he does have an obligation to, to mitigate any losses for Leeds. So I think you can probably offset the money he's earning from Basel and other clubs um, from that. Um, Leeds might be able to say, well, you know, we'd have probably sold him after 12 months and got a transfer fee. Can we get some of that money back? Or is that part of the, the deal that they've signed with Leipzig? But it, it is going to cost the club something in all probability they are going to appeal um they're clearly unhappy about it um and uh, you know if, if the full amount becomes payable it will have worked out he will be probably the most expensive footballer in the history of the game because if you if you look at the his appearances it will work out in total as eight hundred thousand pounds per minute wow um as a professional footballer in this country per minute Per minute. Wow, that's Harry Kane money, isn't it? Wow. Um, <laughs> I, I like the way, Kieran, as well, that you pronounce the Jean part of his name with a French accent and the Augustine part of his name with a French accent. But the Kevin bit, it's pure South London. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jean, Kev, Augustine. <laughs> um, I feel, Kieran, before this next, uh, <laughs> I feel I should apologise to large parts of West Yorkshire uh, and indeed the world. In advance, but um, uh, one Premier League team, Kieran, posted their highest ever annual revenue figure in the last financial year. Which which team would that be, Kieran? It is the Leeds. Is it really? Uh, it, it, <laughs> it's it is three out. <laughs> we only need two more, and that'll be five. There you go. <laughs> That's right. Um, so uh, yeah, Le- Leeds fantastic revenues. I think it, again, it's indicative uh, of the the potential of of the club, uh, especially if uh, Ellen Road is expanded in due course um but whilst they've got record revenues of 189 million pounds they've also got what what i would refer to as second season blues 
Um, and this this has happened at both of our clubs. So if, if we take a look at what, when when both Palace and Brighton were promoted, both clubs made a profit in that first season. And then for the next few seasons, they, they were losing money. Um, and the reason for this, and I, and I was talking to um, I was talking to the board of, of a Premier League club uh, last last week, and, and they said, "Well, you know, when you get promoted, you've got players who have been on Championship contracts. Yes, they get a pay rise, but uh, and I use this in inverted commas. Yeah, we can probably get away with paying them thirty grand a week." Right. Uh, and then if we survive in the Premier League the next season, you know, the, d- during the summer, the players' reps have been in and say, okay, we're currently, my client currently is on a contract which is a championship contract enhanced for being in the Premier League. He's now proven himself to be a Premier League player. I think we need to have a chat. And that 30 grand a week becomes 50 grand or 60 grand a week. And that's what we've seen as far as Leeds are concerned. So although... In the first season, uh, in in the Premier League under Bielsa, remember they they finished ninth. They were playing some pretty exciting football, and it was just a tragedy, I think, for their their fan base that it, it was taking place behind closed doors. Yeah, yeah. Um, they they finished in the top half of the table, and therefore they would have got bonuses. They would have they've earned bonuses on the back of that. What we have seen is the wage bill has gone up. I, I estimate the wage bill has gone up by around about on average seven thousand pounds a week. Um, so so they ended up losing thirty seven million pounds in twenty one twenty two, and this is for um, a, a club who intuitively, I think you would probably say, is one of the middle classes of, of the Premier League. And I know that they, you know, some people say, well, they've, they've, they've spent a good few years out. But yeah, we, you and I both grew, grew up with Leeds United as a big, big club. Of course. Um, and um, the, these figures, you know, to lose £37 million in the Premier League is a lot of money. What I would say is that they've subsequently had the sales of, I think, Phillips and Rafina. Uh, so I'd, I'd expect the results to be far better uh, in 22-23. In so for those Leeds fans who are panicking a bit, I know they're not having the best of seasons, um, you know, the, pa- panic ye not. Um, it, it's, uh, it, it should be better next year as far as the, the numbers are concerned. Uh, panic ye not. Uh, very high on the list of words I wasn't expecting to hear today. Um, and most of our listeners will now be assuming that's a Smith's lyric that you've smuggled in again. <laughs> uh, uh, talking of results, brilliant results on the pitch for Manchester City mm. this week. I mean, they were fantastic against Bayern, especially in the second half. And their owners have published their latest figures this week. Yes, this is intriguing. Um, the City Football Group, which is the parent of Manchester City, Melbourne City, New York, they've got clubs in Mumbai, they've got other clubs in Europe, they've got links to South America, um, and so on. Um, they published their accounts, and, and they lost £137 million. Uh, across across the whole group? Across the whole group. And you go, blimey, O'Reilly. And, and they are seen as sort of the, the poster boys for the MCO, the multi-club ownership model. Yeah. And then you say, well, I bet Manchester City contributed towards that. And Manchester City made a £42 million profit. So had it not been for the success of Manchester City, the the, the group would have been racking up eye-watering losses. And, and this is where... Um, some of the critics who some then potentially morph into conspiracy theorists say, 
well, well, hold on. Yeah, that, that, that doesn't make sense. How can City be making a profit and all of the rest is losing money? Does it mean that money is being shifted from one part of the group to the other? And people will say, well, if, if we take a look at, for example, the, the board of directors of or the senior management of of the City Football Group, I think they earned between them £11 million but Manchester City paid its directors nothing. And you go, well, that, 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 yeah, well, I mean, that does seem a bit strange. Uh, I think there's some sort of management recharge, but it, 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 is, it is messy. And you know, one of my things which I'm always slightly cautious about, it, it is possible to move numbers around a group quite easily. Um, now, I'm sure the Premier League and Manchester City's auditors have done you know, what they think is is appropriate here, um, but yeah, you know, we, we've often we often see in respect of organisations such as Facebook, for example, where you, you see that Facebook end up paying less tax than you or I do in a year, and you go, well, that seems a bit strange. But but Facebook's you know, Facebook Facebook Liechtenstein and Facebook Ireland, yeah. Um, have large amounts of profits, and you go, oh, is that just a coincidence that the the corporation tax in Ireland is 12% and in the UK it's 19, moving on to 25? Um, So um, they're an intriguing set of results, um, and whether that's going to form part of the uh, accusations uh, levelled by the Premier League against Manchester City, I've not seen anything explicit, uh, but it's certainly an area which... It's, it's a little bit cloudy. Presumably, Kieran, each club within the City Football Group has to produce their own figures as well, don't they? Yes, yeah. Manchester City do, Melbourne, New York. But what we do find is um, whilst, uh, as you know, Companies House is my friend. Of course. Um, it is not repeated elsewhere around the world. So, for private companies in many other com- in many other countries, um, they don't publish anything which goes into the public domain whatsoever. So, so yes, Melbourne City and yes, uh, so New York City in particular, they will have uh, sets of accounts which will go to the shareholders. But if if the only person who your shareholder is is the City Football Group. Getting details in respect of those numbers is 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 never going to be easy. All right, so not a bad week for City's owners, Kieran, but not a good week for Southampton's owner. Yes, this is uh, Dragon Solak, and, and this this could be something or it could be nothing. Um, he borrowed money from a Luxembourg company or, uh, to to acquire Southampton a couple of years ago. And it appears that this loan is due to be repaid in December 2024. Now, for all we know, he has the resources to repay that money. And it should be stressed that it is his loan and it's nothing to do with the football club. So Southampton fans are being defensive with regards to this. You can understand why. Um, I think the only issue could be is... If he has to repay these loans, does he then have the resources to continue to fund the club? I think that's that would be a separate issue. Um, and we have mentioned him before in respect of he has been successful 
um, as as a broadcaster, but um, he he is uh, his broadcast company is based in Serbia. Um, it has been critical of the government, and I think it's fair to say it's quite an authoritarian regime mm. that we now have, sadly, in Serbia. Uh, he used to have the Premier League rights, um, and he was paying ten million pounds a year for them, and then all, and that, and, and it, that was a big plus, you know, because Premier League football. As we were saying earlier, you know, very successful export product. Um, then, then the state broadcaster came along and said, eh, "Well, I tell you what, we will offer the Premier League eighty-eight million pounds a year." We, right. They absolutely blew his broadcasting uh, company out of the water, um, and of course, that will have implications in terms of subscriptions and downloads and yeah. people watching it. Um, so, it's it's part of a, of a much broader issue. Um, does that mean that he's now going to struggle to repay that loan? I think to a certain extent that's yeah, putting two and two together and adding making five. Uh but it's it's you know, for Southampton are having a bad season, there's no doubt about it, and, and that's not not going it, it's it's gonna be more of a negative than a positive. But but it's worthwhile stressing, as Southampton fans are, that this is gonna be a financial problem for him. Uh, and not directly for the club, although, as you say, it will have implications if he has to pay a lot of money for the club. But this this, this is not going to put – non-payment of this loan won't put the club into any difficulty, will it? It, it won't put the club into any difficulty unless the club finds itself. Uh, and, and we have said this before um, – Clubs are very dependent upon owners, and should the owner's personal circumstances change or should the owner lose enthusiasm for the club, mm. that can then imperil the football club. So that would be my my one sort of reservation here if uh, if it's a result of having to repay this. And he might be, yeah, for all we know, he could be a billionaire, oh yeah, hundred million quid, yeah, 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 down the back of a sofa. So, so I, I, you know, I don't, I don't want to to be scaremongering here, but you know, it certainly appear, appeared in the Times. It has appeared in one or two of the other papers. So, yeah, we, we picked up on it as well. I think even for a billionaire, I think if I was a billionaire, Kieran and Ali came home and said, "What's happened to that hundred and ten million quid?" and I went, "I don't know," down the back. I think. I think even in those circumstances, I'd, I'd want to know where that 110 million quid had gone, Kieran. Um, he, he would have paid a lot more than that for Southampton, though, wouldn't he? So presumably the 110 million loan would have been, what, half of the, the cost of the club? Yes, yes. The, uh, the the previous owners, the Libas, I think they sold it for around about 2 220 ish right. 2.50. This episode of The Price of Football is brought to you by the AI-powered workspace Notion. What if you had access to tomorrow's tools today? In Notion, you do. It's the AI-powered workspace where any team can turn ideas into action. My career is sort of a bit like being a butterfly and I'm always jumping from project to project. So therefore, Notion helps me from summarising meetings notes and automatically generating action items to getting answers to any question in seconds. If you can think it, you can make it. And Notion is for everyone, whether you're a Fortune 500 company or a freelance football finance lecturer. You can try Notion for free when you go to notion.com slash price of football. That's all lowercase letters, notion.com slash price of football and start turning ideas into action. That's notion.com slash price of football. 
Hi, I'm Steve Lamarck and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insight, Stuart Dredge, on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings-on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. We talk a lot, Kieran. Boy, do we talk a lot about um, the basket case that is the championship. And we've mm. seen Reading sack their manager, Paul Lintz, just a day or two ago. Uh, but this next story it just underlines what <laughs> what the perils of owning a club in the in the championship, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. We we don't talk football, but. What, what is Paul Lynch supposed to do I, for I, a club, club that's got a, a transfer embargo for 18 months yeah. and has just had a six-points deduction for something which has got absolutely nothing to do with him? I know. I, I, I know. Let's, Lunacy. But, Lunacy. It's a shame we don't talk football, Kieran. We've got lots of stories we could talk about this week. Leicester's new temporary manager, for example. Yes. VAR. Let's, let, let's draw a line. <laughs> no, 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 no. no. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, Kim. So, uh, so this particular club in the championship. Yes, this this is this is Blackburn Rovers, yeah. and um, Blackburn lost four hundred thousand pounds a week, and we're going, uh, yeah. And, and do you see, we, we've now become so immune to it. It's it, it's it's a bit, yeah, it's a bit. I, I don't. It's probably not a great analogy. This, but remember during lockdown, and there'd be stories on. You know, the first thing you'd see on the news every night was. Uh, yeah, this is the number of infections. This is the number of people hospitalised. This is the number of people that sadly passed away. And for the first few weeks, we were going, "Oh my god, oh my god!" Yeah, and yeah, then yeah. Uh, you you do become anaesthetised to it. And I think that's what's happening now in football. Um, so so Blackburn have lost four hundred thousand pounds a week. And, and the crazy thing is that it, it wasn't just for that year. I, I've been through the accounts since the Venkies first acquired the club uh, in twenty ten. And, and they've lost four hundred thousand pounds a week since then, and what? it's 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 a crazy situation that um, over the course of the last decade, and you know sometimes perhaps in an individual season, you might find yes, a club has spent a ridiculous amount of wages, but this is over the course of ten years. Blackburn Rovers have paid one hundred and forty-one pounds in wages for every one hundred pounds coming into the club, and then you ask yourself. Why? You know, what's in it for the owners? Um, is this a pure vanity project? If so, you know, why would a a family who's who's been successful in their own right in India get involved with a a what was a Premier League football club when they first bought it? And it could be a pride issue because there have been stories and they have been sort of confirmed by by people I, I know in the game that uh, the Venkies didn't do any due diligence when they first bought Blackburn Rovers right. and, and they, they weren't familiar with the concept of relegation and, and when they acquired it Blackburn was in the Premier League yeah. although that didn't last particularly long yeah. um, and, and there has been a falling out with the fan base since then and I think over time the fan base have come to realise that um, were it not for the Venkies 
Blackburn, who are having a an okay season in the championship, would probably be uh, a wee bit further down the football pyramid. The, the trouble is, Kieran, with the championship, that that figure of £141 in wages for every £100 income is quite reasonable by championship uh, rates, isn't it, really? It, it is, yeah. We've, we've, we've just talking about Reading. Reading had three seasons on the trop. On the trop? On the trot. On the trot. Even. <laughs> on the, what's a trot? Um, three seasons on the trot in, in which they were paying more than double in wages than they were generating in income. And... Again, you've got to question the, the logic behind the owners. Were they trying to gamble on a promotion push? Are they being well advised? And, and this is one of my concerns that, you know, I, I don't want to go and uh, present football club owners, especially those from overseas. As uh, Remember that, that, I think it's an episode of The Simpsons where Hollywood comes to, uh, Hollywood comes to the town. To Springfield, yeah. Come, comes to Springfield and and they just fleece them for everything that they've got. Yeah. Um, and, and sometimes I feel in football that uh, owners do arrive with you know, broadly positive intentions, and and then they just get yeah they get the t- their trousers taken down by by agents, by executives, by by coaches saying yeah we're just going to sign this player. Yes, we're going to have to go and pay him thirty grand a week, yeah. but it could, yeah it could be the difference, and and, and they fall for it every time. I believe, uh, Kieran, on the trop is uh, what posh people say when they're going to Saint Tropez. What are you doing this weekend? I'm going on the trop. I believe that's how posh people uh, conduct themselves. Uh, Kieran, we know they are immensely wealthy business people. They've got a hugely successful uh, business in India, as you say, uh, providing chicken for fast food outlets and restaurants. Uh, very wealthy people, but most people like me, Kieran, who have no concept of finances, will say, "How can even very wealthy people lose four hundred thousand pound a week and and keep smiling through?" Because there's, there's, if they've got other businesses that are losing four hundred thousand pound a week, they they would do that for two weeks and they'd offload it, wouldn't they? They would, and I think this is the unique nature of football in in any other industry if your wage bill exceeded revenues even for a year or two you just close it down yes um i, th- I think there is a there is an element of pride in that well, we bought it and we're going to stick with it yeah. there is an element of we still see blackburn rovers as a trophy asset and should the club return to the premier league then we will have the the kudos amongst our social peers of hosting Liverpool and Manchester City and, and Arsenal and the Leeds and so on. <laughs> I, Kieran, I almost can't bring myself to read the, mm. this this next news story. I, I, it, <laughs> I read it with disbelief and mounting anger, but suffice to say it's about Southend United. Yes, this, this is a very dispiriting story. We we were aware that Southend were nearly wound up at the start of March mm. and owner Ron Martin has, as he has done on a number of occasions, at the at the, at the last minute managed to find money. Um, but it appears that uh, staff, and this is office staff, um, have not been paid wages for March. And now, now we're recording this on the 12th, of, of March. Um, this story I know I, I read on the 6th or the 7th. I've not seen anything since. They, I, I, ideally, they have been paid. But then I thought what was incredibly insidious was this, the club was 
trying to blame the fans for this. And the reason why I say this is that it's season ticket renewal time. And what we have seen from uh, some of the, the Southampton, sorry, some, some, some of the South End uh, fan groups and also individual fans, they're saying, well, given the uncertainty surrounding the club and given the fact that Ron Martin, yes, he has spoken about selling South End United, but there doesn't seem to be any progress being made. Why should we, as first of all, the club's spiritual owners, the people that have the emotional investment in the club, but also you have a financial investment? And uh, yeah, I, I, I get a bit angsty uh, with some club owners who say, well, yeah, it's my club. I'll, I, if I want to delay publishing the accounts, I can choose to do so. But at the same time, they're ignoring that they're expecting fans to put money into the club in advance of the following season. Clubs are, uh, you know, cl- uh, Club fans are financial investors mm. as well as emotional investors. So uh, I think that it's it's very disrespectful to fans to to try to avoid publishing accounts. Um, and Southend, Southend haven't done it since 2018, by the way. Yeah. Um, so they Southend are effectively saying, well, yeah, if, if you did renew your, your season tickets, we'd then have the money to pay the staff. And that's... That's horrible. Yeah, that's 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 emotional blackmail. Uh, you know, perhaps if if Ron Martin engaged with the fans, if he if he uh, did have a a strategy and an openness, and that doesn't necessarily mean that you know he has put money into the club. I'm not denying that, um, but engagement and communication and transparency are are good things. You know, our our friend Andy Holt, he, he does that. Yeah, you know, and and he. Andy will fall out with people at the same time. You know, he's, he's fallen out with me in the past. And, and But by having a, a channel of communication, what you do is that you you find your differences and um, you, you you get an understanding of where the other person is coming from. And, and, and I think that, that leads to you know, reconciliation and, and, and moving forwards together. Well, also blaming the fans overlooks the fact that it was them that two months running – put money into the club to play wages in the first place um for the avoidance of panic kieran i should point out we're recording this on the 12th of april not the 12th right. not the 12th of march as you oh, said yes, so it is. um yes. which uh, sometimes happens when a radio announcer accidentally says it's five to ten and it's five to eleven and apparently the world stops but <laughs> you, you panicked me because you said it's the 12th of march and i thought oh my god i haven't bought dad a birthday present and then i thought oh that's all right he died 18 months ago so that's a sort that's a little insight into my mind at the moment so it's the 12th of april um, what what angers me most about this question this story rather um, kieran is that quite rightly there's a huge fuss in the media in the press when players don't get paid as they should be but staff members not getting paid which for me is just as important if not more so because these people haven't earned the sort of money that the, i know National League level players won't be earning a fortune, but they'll be earning more than the the staff do, and hopefully will have some savings at least to fall back on. These are people that aren't paid a lot of money in the first place, and to not be paid their wages on a consistent basis is just unforgivable, Kieran. It's not. It's not. It's not right. I don't know how many more times we talked about euphemisms earlier. I don't know how many more euphemisms we can come up with when it comes to Ron Martin about mm-hmm. his behaviour because it's it's just appalling. Yeah, and I am regularly contacted by students, by you know, other people through alternative forms of social media, and 
the question I get asked most of all is, how do I get a job in football finance? And the first thing I always say to them, you're not going to get rich on the back of it because the football industry does not pay big money. Because all of the focus is on what happens on the pitch, and that's understandable, what you tend to find is that salaries for office staff tend to be relatively low, probably third quartile um, in in many instances, if not not bottom quartile. And people are prepared to accept that because – I'm also a fan of Southend United. Yeah. I'm also a fan of, uh, you know, Barrow. I'm also a fan of uh, of Motherwell, whoever it's going to be. And therefore, the privilege of working for an institution which I hold in such high regard is um, is something that I'm, I'm therefore prepared to accept a a, a salary which which isn't going to uh, particularly inspire. You know, many other people to, to come if, if they weren't uh, having that same uh, connection with the club. Alternative forms of social media, you say. Have you, have you joined up to that Donald Trump tweet thing? <laughs> <laughs> tweet, truth social. Uh, truth not, social. Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> um, two more stories to go, Kieran, uh, the last of which I'm baffled by, I'll have to tell you. Um, but we're used to talking about investment groups putting lots of money into the men's game, uh, and this is a new angle here, Kieran, with Investment Group Sixth Street. Yes, people may recall Sixth Street, um, who uh, had a relationship, or in fact have a relationship, with Barcelona. Um, When Barcelona were unable to sign players and struggling to pay the wages, uh, you may recall last summer that they started pulling what they refer to as economic levers, um, what uh, some of others of us refer to as uh, posh payday loans um, in, in respect of Barcelona's uh, broadcasting rights. So Sixth Street is an investment company, pure and simple, and it sees opportunities in the entertainment stroke sports industry. But what we have seen um, over the course of the last few days is that Sixth Street is behind um, what we refer to as an expansion fee. So the the, the NWSL, the, the National Women's Soccer League in, in the US is a franchise sport. And um, it, it did have 12 teams and it is expanding to 14. But if you want to join the gang, you've got to put money in. So it's going to pay uh, an, ex- an, an expansion fee. And I think there's another club in Utah which is joining at the same time. And it, this is going to be for setting up a uh, an NNWSL club in San, in the San Francisco area, in the Bay Area, um, and I think it's it's indicative of the the potential of the game, and, and I think uh, comparing the NWSL to the WSL, um, you know, there there are some parallels, there are some things which are, are held apart, um, but the, certainly the, the NWSL does appear to be an industry in which the opportunity to make money is greater than it is here. Um, and, and I think that's because we've got clubs such as Chelsea playing at Kings Meadow, you know, Brighton play at Crawley, uh, trying to trying to find a a dedicated stadium for a women's team, which is which is the right size. I think is is a bit of a challenge. Um, so 
it's it's a lot of money. You know, one hundred twenty five million dollars is, and now, now that might include the cost of building the stadium, for all I know. But uh, it it is a sign that uh, women's football is growing. Uh, the NWSL is saying that ideally it wants to move to a sixteen club franchise. Um, that is inconsistent with with our legacy understanding of football and the concept of promotion and relegation here you you effectively you buy your way into the club but the sums involved are are certainly a record level for the women's game uh, this final new story kieran um which I, I i understand we we laughed earlier on about palace beating leeds and i understand that there needs to be a little bit of grit in everybody's oyster kieran i i understand that uh sometimes uh, people need to urinate on chips. It's as simple as that. Um, but this last news story has been put in, I imagine, by a guy just to rein me in a little bit because it contains uh, two words that I love very much and one that I don't love at all. Uh, the first two words being Crystal Palace and the third one being Socios. Uh, and you will know, Kieran, from mixing with Palace fans recently at that forum mm. that we talked about and, and in the Porson's Arms, um, that Palace fans have been particularly resistant to the idea of Socios, especially compared to other clubs in the Premier League that have a deal with them. Um, but now I've heard this news, Kieran, I I think I might change my mind. I might have got Socios completely wrong because they are offering, I, I think, the best enticement you could ever have to invest in what I... I'm not going to use the word dodgy, Kieran, because that would be uh, uh, in, into something I don't like, but I, I've, I'm beginning to change my mind, Kieran. Yes, uh, for those people unfamiliar with Socios, it is uh, a an NFT, uh, non fungible token, uh, organization, and it has individual coins for individual clubs. Now, in in respect of the relationship with Crystal Palace, um, it can, in theory, issue up to ten million Crystal Palace tokens, but it's only issued three hundred and fifty thousand to date. And, and I think, as you, you've rightly said, there has been uh, caution, stroke, disdain, stroke, stroke, repug- repugnance from Palace fans. Yeah, I, I should this. I should point out as well, Kieran, that a lot of those that have been issued are to individuals in Turkey who are clearly investing in these things. So if you take those out, the numbers are even lower for the Palace take up from fans. That's right. And uh, I went on to the, the markets this morning. Since the Socios, uh, or Socios coins were launched, they have fallen in value by 55%. So you've, you've lost more than half your money if you – and I, and I use the word invested in, uh, in inverted commons. Um, but this could be a change around. This, this is why you're now thinking, Kevin, what, what could I do? What could bring me – a unique experience. And when when Socios uh, set up, it said, this is what we're going to do. We're going to buy you things. We get, we're going to offer you things that money cannot buy. And this is a round of crazy golf with a couple of Palace players. Can you, can you imagine? Can you imagine, you know, sort of, you know, doing the windmill, you know, uh, with, with, uh, with Roy Hodgson or, or saying, I... I, I I only needed a couple of extra holes at, at the Grand Canyon with Jeffrey Schlupp. I mean, you know, this this will, this will be the stuff that will have the Porson's arms in 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 a, in, in a gape, surely. Well, Kieran, I, I beg to differ with you there, but the the opportunity to vote on a new flavour of pie at half time 
didn't uh, cause the merest ripple. The chance to slap a ball into the clown's mouth with Joel Ward, I don't. I think it's going to take a lot more than that. <laughs> and also because Roy Hodgson, you know, will take it very seriously. He'll be one of those people checking the scores properly and making sure he would take ten minutes just to choose his putter, while Ray Lewington just charged ahead, missing every hole by about hundred yards. Because he, so if this is what. This is what annoys me about these things with socials, Kieran. It's just that, on a serious level, no, I'm not going to be serious. But every, every Palace fan should have the opportunity to play crazy golf with some of the players. That's that's what. Why why is it that you have to afford socials to choose a, a half time pie? Or <laughs> I just it just it just beggars. It's just the idea of Mark Gay, who's you know the coolest defender in the Premier League, the, just a proper, unflappable 21-year-old, classy, well-dressed man being told that he's got to go down to New Addington to play 12 rounds of crazy golf with some Palace fans. It's just... It's, it's, I mean, we're all used to play. I mean, you know, pro-am golf. We were, you know, I'm sure that Kenny Dalglish and Jimmy Tarbuck had a, had a <laughs> laugh their way around a, a course in Merseyside for four hours while some poor sap paid a thousand quid for charity. But this is just, I just love who is it who's having these meetings at Socios? Who's, I mean, these are, I've seen these, they, they, they're trendy. I imagine their offices are in Shoreditch somewhere. And unless they're talking about postmodern ironic crazy golf, I don't. Who is it at Socios? This young, up and coming thrusting company that's going. I will tell you what, we really are struggling. And what what can we offer? I don't know. What's Roy Hodgson's figures like on crazy golf? They do some research. <laughs> I imagine they went back to Liverpool and to to Switzerland. And said, well, did you ever see Roy Hodgson play crazy? Oh yeah, he was mad for crazy golf. He's really good at it. Oh, just, I'm going to stop there, Kieran, because you know that my issue with Socios at Palace, but there you go. Uh, he said darkly. That was it. That's the first time I've actually muttered darkly on this pod. I've never understood what that phrase meant. He muttered darkly, but then I just muttered darkly. Um, so I'm trying to think of other holes at Crazy Golf now. Just It's not that, it's Sean Locks, and it's not that crazy anyway, is it, Crazy Golf? <laughs> Sure, not. If it was really crazy, you'd have a bloke with a chainsaw chasing you around. That would be properly crazy golf. God rest Sean Locke. Um, thank you to everyone who's donated to the pod via our Patreon page. If you'd like to make a small monthly contribution to the pod, that'd be very kind of you. And you can do that by going to patreon.com slash price of football. If you have a question you'd like answered on the show, email us at questions at price of football.com. And in the meantime, I shall hand you over to Mr. Kieran Maguire for his customary farewell. Well, thank you, everybody, for the support for the show. Um, uh, thank you for uh, keeping us on our toes, uh, which uh, which is always good. We, we do welcome all, all forms of feedback. Um, there's there's uh, supporting via Patreon, but there's another way which you can help help us at the price of football, um, and, and that's to give us a review. It's to go on to that app of yours and to uh, help us in the charts. It it, it it, it impacts the algorithm, apparently, according to producer Guy. Um, it doesn't matter what you say uh, in the review. So you could even say you would rather have the show presented by two of my favourite Daves, Dave Vanian of The Damned and <laughs> Dave Attenborough of The Planet Earth. <laughs> They're not that dissimilar in age anymore, are they? <laughs> They're not. <laughs> I, just, I, also, I just imagine Roy Hodgson turning up and going, a yellow ball, the game's gone. Crazy golf is gone. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye. The price of football.
that provides some photo ball.